Hello! Welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with George Ortega, Quaid, and WSD Time. And today we're going to talk about determinism from the perspective of the self. What does it mean for us as individuals once we understand determinism and that there are causes for our behaviors? Because Quaid was saying um, before we started that we think of it in terms of analyzing other people, but do we ever uh, look in the mirror, so to speak, at what makes us do what we do? So that's the general idea you meant, right, Quaid? Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, so do you guys have this experience where you do things, but you um, are you, you, you either think you know why you're doing something or you're not sure and you're trying to figure it out? Well, uh, Chandler, one way I use this this knowledge is like, you know, for example, I, I try to learn about politics. I try to somewhat get political um, before elections. And it's like, you know, there's always an opposing party. And, you know, like years ago, I used to kind of like be very emotional. I used to like not like people. I used to have strong emotions toward what people said and directed those emotions to them. And one great benefit of, of, of getting that, that nobody has a free will is that it gives me a powerful reason to let go of these negative, you know, unpleasant emotions and judgments. You know, as a result of this, fine, I may not like what certain politicians say, what certain people say, their, their ideologies, their viewpoints, their proposals, but just not being able to any, ra any longer rationally hold them responsible is really a gift. It just like frees me from, from this anger toward them and, you know, these negative feelings. So, George, what you're saying is the hostility you felt towards certain politicians or political views that were different from your own, a lot of that, that anger went away as you realized people were not to blame for w what they did, even if you found it appalling. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, with me, like I'm not as uh, not that political, obviously, as you know. But when it comes to the morality of issues, I've had a similar experience. Full Bernie. What's that, Will? Full Bernie. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, but yeah, I mean, it really does um, help when we're not really blaming people because they know it wasn't up to them that they didn't really choose their opinions on a matter. Instead, um, the way I look at it now is, you know, which, like, which of two positions on an issue, whether it's a political issue or a moral issue or, or arguments for or against some scientific or philosophical something, whatever it may be, I just look and see which has merit, which makes the most sense. And it's easier to do that when you're not just getting all emotional and mad, like George was talking about. Right. Yeah, Quaid, yeah. yeah Quaid, oh, yeah, yeah you, I agree. Quaid, yeah, you brought up the topic today. So what's how you know how does it affect your life on a daily basis? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I like what you said, uh, and uh, that's um, an important component too. And I was like, I kind of like to take that a little bit further. Uh, I mean, in the same way that you're saying, you know, it kind of alleviates the anger that you feel. Uh, towards other people, uh, for me, I found that it also alleviates the disappointment in myself, you know, when I do something wrong personally. It doesn't mean that I don't feel bad about uh, mistakes because I think that's just kind of like um, 
a natural part of it but i think that people can linger on it way too long you know they beat themselves up because they because they feel like well i did this you know this is my personal choice and it's not connected to anything Uh, and so i think there's also an internal blame in the same way that we end up blaming other people uh, we actually end up doing the same thing to ourselves and that can be harmful as well because it it makes it hard to get past um, certain things that you're trying to fix you just end up feeling bad about them and not actually fixing them. Absolutely. Not only does yeah. it distract us from addressing whatever needs to be addressed, you're, like you were saying, it adds this unnecessary mistaken element of self-punishment. You know, we're punishing ourselves for things that really weren't up to us. So to the extent we can overcome that, you know, our quality of life is definitely going to be enhanced. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting is that it seems that when people are blaming themselves, uh, feeling like they're bad because they chose to do something, well, then it leads to them trying to justify what they did, you know. And yet, here's what I find particularly interesting. Every reason somebody uses to justify, well, I had to do this because they were doing that and, you know, all this stuff. And what you realize is that they're describing, you know, sort of the mitigating circumstances that explain why they did what they did. And what I think is particularly interesting, like I I draw a line between they had to do what what they did because X, Y, Z, and it's the right thing to do because there's a difference. There's a difference um, between what's right or wrong, good or bad, and what someone had to do because everything we did, we had to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and also like, you know, Yeah, like paying your bills. Yeah, it it presents challenges because for example, let's say somebody in your life does something wrong toward you, right? Offends you in some way. Um, fine, okay, you don't blame them. You don't like direct your hostility toward them, but you know, for example, take take the case of like self defense. If somebody came at you physically, then I think you have a more obligation to defend yourself. And so if, mm-hmm. if it's something that it's not physical, but somebody, somebody did something you know, harmful to you, then fine, we don't blame the person. But then the question becomes, and again, it's, it's a, we can do it easier without the free will belief because it just removes that element of emotion. But sometimes we still have to kind of like, you know, quote unquote, punish the person um, Let's say somebody, um, let's say somebody's supposed to like be at a certain place at a certain time and they're continually showing up late, you know, making you wait and stuff. So in other words, mm-hmm. like this, this perspective that nobody has a free will, it does free us from a lot of negative emotions, but it doesn't, you know, solve everything. We still have to negotiate things in terms of like, you know, defending morality, defending our, our, our you know, certain rights, whatever our welfare and, and molding other people to kind of like to behave in, in ways that are more acceptable. And that, again, that's, that's a challenge that that's apart from this. Um, it's a challenge that remains, you know, uh, regardless of whether we believe we have a free will or not. Yeah. And I'd like to add to that by saying that another problem is that everybody has a different idea of what behavior is acceptable or not. So we're still stuck with a war of competing ideas and, and beliefs about, you know, different people want society to be a certain thing and they're not all going to just magically agree. 
just because they understand that they didn't choose their opinions. I mean, in, in fact, that's part of the deal is since we don't choose our opinions, we can't just all magically agree all of a sudden. And for some, that might be an inconvenient thought, yet it's true. Yeah, yeah, I think it, uh, then it, it goes back to, um, I mean, it's, like you said, nobody really kind of chooses their, um, or they don't, they don't have free reign over their opinions, so it makes it a lot harder to um, um, convince people, but that's, uh, I, I guess, just part of it is, is trying to edu- educate people on, on certain things. Because, I mean, the thing is, like, and this is something that a lot of um, uh, liberal people uh, sometimes do, is they take the subjective stance, like, there's no thing, there's no such thing as the objective, you know, so to speak, which may or may not true, but for some people, that ends up boiling down to there is no right or wrong. And you can't assert a position to be right or wrong. Otherwise, you're just, uh, you know, an um, imperialist. You're just trying to dominate other people's minds uh, by saying that there are right and wrong actions. And and see, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Quaid, because a lot of people, they they have a way of saying there's no moral responsibility by saying there's no morality, that there's no... There's no objective standard of right and wrong, therefore no one's morally responsible because nothing is moral or immoral. And yet I would say we don't have to do that. We don't have to go the route of moral relativism in order to eliminate moral responsibility because determinism and or indeterminism, if it was somehow known, would also make moral responsibility non-existent. But the question about morality, this whole subjective morality thing what's interesting about it is is to me it's sort of like um like objectively music is a bunch of sounds right it's a bunch of sound waves and we and we hear it and yet people make certain judgments of like oh well this song is better than this song or or this movie is better than this movie you know you know people do this like well this is better than that and so that's where it's like we can't say that the music doesn't exist or the movies don't exist just because people have differing opinions over them, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think also like, you know, not just liberals. I think, you know, many of us are atheists on this podcast. And yeah, this this idea that, you know, that um, I mean, what what we try to bring across in these podcasts is like that, yes, morality exists. And, you know, I personally believe there is an objective morality, but as Chandler, as you were just pointing out um, just now, what that objective morality is sometimes is, is, is relatively clear to see. Sometimes it's not, you know, it, it's kind of like hazy. But, but the other part is that, um, that basically, you know, fine, we, we have a morality and um, the, the thing is, it's not our morality. In other words, like, you know, because we'd have a free will doesn't, it, it means we don't have a, we're not personally to blame for the morality. And then here's actually, Quaid, where we, um, you know, there's an area of, of contention in a certain sense between like those of us who are atheists, those of us who are theists, uh, um, in other words, like if there is a morality, if there's a right and wrong, an objective right and wrong, regardless, you know, um, um, that it's not ours because we don't have a free will, then who or what do we assign it to or do we just like not assign it to anything? You know, 
Yeah. Here's an interesting idea, George. Um, morality can't be assigned to, to God because if God can just create morality, then it becomes subjective at the whim of God, which it's sort of, yeah. So, it's so, so one way to look at it is morality is God, if someone wanted to go strange with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm more... Um equate everything to goals i mean i i cannot tell somebody to me i cannot somebody who thinks that the purpose of humanity is um let's say it's survival of the fittest so just some people gotta go you know like if somebody wants if somebody asserts that position there is no scientific test i can do to tell that person that they're wrong uh but the second that we say we care about if the if if we develop the same fundamental basis, which a lot of people do, um, of morality, which is the 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 well being of humans uh, as a whole, uh, you know, with prog, you know, uh, to create progress in the world and and make sure there's less suffering. I mean, once you kind once you accept that as your premise, there are scientific things you can do to say there there are conversations that you can have logically with that person to tell them this thing would not work if your goal is to uh, better humanity. But I so to, so to me, morality in some ways is subjective, but I think once you start, once you're, you're on solid footing, once you're on the same ground as somebody else, that's where you can have the logical conversation about objectivity and what's objectively true in achieving certain goals in humanity. I like what you said there, Quaid, because to even have a discussion about morality or to have a scientific method for investigating such a thing, there has to be an agreement among people about what the goal is. Because if one person's trying to play tennis and another person's trying to play basketball, they're not playing the same game, so there's no discussion. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't talk about what the rules are. You can't talk about if this person really did foul or something, you know, because you're playing different sports. So the different, the sport will dictate what a foul is, you know, in the same way that uh, where you're starting morally will dictate what is a right or wrong moral action. If, if you're, if you're, if the moral basis of if the basis of your morality is that uh it's okay to kill humans or that it's uh, that it's it's okay to kill an innocent human who is not doing any harm uh then committing a a a crime is not immoral to that person because they're they're following out what they believe is true about the universe all right so wait a minute in, in your personal experience in your personal experience um would you say how would you say like overcoming the belief in free will basically makes this process of determining right from wrong and communicating this easier in other words how does the belief in free will interfere with that process I, yeah i think uh i think like i like i said earlier i think a lot of us start off fundamentally that a lot of us do that we want people to have that we want more well-being in the world Okay, like if you ask most people, that's going to be the foundation of their morality is they, they want uh, the better world. And so once you have that platform, then uh, free will starts to mess with things within the reality of that morality. I mean, once people start there. Uh, so if you think if we all start the, the start there that uh, we want things to increase the well-being, really, if if we're. Um, determinists, we immediately start to look at the components of what makes somebody less happy or what diminishes well-being. 
Uh, and then, but, and then once you start to get the kind of choice aspect, if, you know, people will say, well, people's choices decide that, you know, if you just believe somebody makes their choices by this, this weird thing that people call free will, that we're still not sure, uh, what it is, then you, it's, you can't problem solve at that point. It's a, it's a problem solving stopper. There's nothing you can do because you, you're just basically admitting that, that their actions are not entwined in any other circumstances that we can change. Uh, so that's how it that's how it, it messes with that. You're absolutely right, Quade. And see, for a lot of people, that really is a conversation stopper because when people just say something's a matter of personal choice, then they don't like to be questioned on why they did something. It's like, oh, it's a personal choice. Like there is no cause. It's like I did it. It's my choice. Yeah. And here's what's particularly interesting about it is – we can never say something is really our choice, really. I mean, when we understand that it really is just a bunch of luck, it's like a Monopoly game. We don't choose where we land, where the die rolls, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, what's it, I, I, I guess because I'm a person who values questioning everything, this explains how I, I don't like the belief in free will because it stops people from asking those deeper questions. And if they don't ask the deeper questions, then there's nothing to talk about. There's no way of relating to anyone. And it's only through getting into these deep philosophical, scientific, and sometimes religious debates that gives me a reason to talk at all. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm thinking like in my life, you know, also, this this relates to our future, um, our plans. You know, I mean, like, have you guys found, like, for example, like, if I'm if I'm planning something, planning to do something, thinking about do some, doing something, a project or something, and you know, if I'm kind of like holding this belief in free will, it may feel more intimidating. It's kind of like it presents the 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 possibility of failure, a personal failure, yeah. and this indictment. So yeah, so this this overcoming, you know, evolving beyond free will belief, I think um, would encourage more courageous planning, you know, just invite yep. more opportunities. Oh yeah, yeah, and that goes back to, I mean, th there's really like there's a there's a wealth of conversations to be had here. I mean, if you think about uh, uh, being in a classroom, like uh, you know, personally, you know, being a teacher, like. When, when I want students to explore possibilities, it becomes really hard because of this thing called error or this being wrong thing. It makes students less likely uh, to come out and share their opinions because they're so afraid of being wrong. And I think that the reason they're afraid of being wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that embarrassment comes from the fact that they don't think people will sympathize with them if they're wrong. They won't be seen as a human being who makes errors. It'll be attached to them in some... Uh, uh, negative way as if they're they're choosing to just be ignorant about something uh, instead of you know just making an error which is is natural for determined beings you know it's sometimes the the randomness of the universe it culminates in what we call an error and instead of just kind of viewing it as that way and allowing all the chips to be on the table we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we restrict ourselves in a lot of ways so that way it doesn't come out yeah, well, you know, that brings up a very interesting question. I mean, doesn't the idea, the belief in free will, imply that there are no mistakes, no accidents, but that each person somehow intentionally chose to make those mistakes? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, it's really hard to have the conversation because I, 
I, I mean, I've read a lot of books on free will, and I, I, I'm, I still don't know what it is. I can't logically connect. I, can, I think uh, Sam Harris said it best. Like, it's a really, it's a really hard philosophy to map onto reality. I think that's the best way to look at it. For me, it's yes. just well, for me, it's just, it's just something that was always taught, and I never understood it. I just went along with it. A lot of people do. And then the question becomes, so, all right, so we've got this experience of understanding the reality, you know, reality the way it is. And, I mean, beyond the question, you know, we have to ask ourselves, how do these, like, you know, college professors, these educated people who are ostensibly, you know, intelligent, how do they Mm -hmm. not understand this? And and along with that, you know, I think we have the personal experience of trying to figure out because I think they're, they're basically, you know, rejecting the truth in favor of what makes them feel good, I think. You know, basically, like, they like to feel authorship. They like to, um, to believe that, that everything isn't already mapped out, already destined. That makes them feel good. So, like, you know, our challenge becomes, like, fine, we get this on a personal level, in our personal experience. How do we explain this to people to overcome mm-hmm. that 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 barrier it's not it's not a logical you know um part of them that is is preventing them from understanding this yeah yeah i i i really don't i mean but it's i mean the same thing could be asked i mean the, the problem uh, with this question is i mean you know there's i like people wonder how certain scientists can be so re- religiously devout or how scientists there's you know there are scientists who believe that the earth is flat and that we didn't land on the moon and you know the list goes on and on so i think it's just again that you know there's concepts that just once you get outside of that experts area of expertise there's no there's nothing holding them down i I would like to think that um they would kind of apply you know they would really just stick to their field and have a conversation about what their field says but that that's just not what they do and they they come out and they're not necessarily maybe they haven't just thought they haven't thought about it maybe they just haven't thought about free will um i'd be interested to like have a conversation fully with somebody like daniel dennett i mean i've watched a lot of his videos and he seems to wrap up or kind of mystify his position in a lot of like jargon or it becomes semantics uh in some ways um but he's thought about it he's thought about it a lot so i do wonder where some of that is coming from some of them yeah because if, i mean if you're in the process of writing a novel about this issue i think you know um that's one of your your major challenges you know basically i mean like Certainly you want to present the logic of it, right? But then we have to acknowledge, again, like with Dennett, with a lot of academics, people who should get this, it isn't really that complicated, that difficult, don't. What do you say to them? I mean, like part of this, maybe we, we need to investigate people who have changed their view, who, who once strongly believed in free will and, and now understand it. But, but that's the challenge. I mean, fine, we have to acknowledge that, that you know, in academia, you have this, you know, not just in this field, but, you know, with climate change and, and various other issues. Um, and I think maybe in the, it, it may be different answers for different issue, issues. In other words, like the, 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 the message for to get, you know, scientists on board on climate change may be vastly different 
send the message to get them on board on um, for this free will thing. So it's it's kind of a, mm-hmm. a unique challenge we face. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, the deal with people who you know are smart people, but they don't understand that free will is nonsense, is that they haven't yet found the right cause that changes their mind, and. It really it depends on the person what sort of reasoning, what sort of arguments um, or what experiences will will help explain it to them in a way they can understand it. Yeah, and, and the problem is probably you can't just have – you can't typify the problem because it's going to be different for different people. Uh, one of the things I would say would be the definition of free will. I think there's a lot of confusion about even you know among people who believe in free will what they believe about free will. If you ask somebody like Daniel Dennett – what he thinks about free will, and you ha- you sit down and you allow him to explain it in full. It sounds nothing like the free will that is talked about in churches among uh, religiously devout Christians. It's not the same. Uh, it's it's more nuanced. Uh, it still doesn't. I still don't think it's it it's right, or I don't still don't think it makes much sense um, in reality. But there are two there are reasons right there. The reason between their confusion. Uh, or or what Daniel Dennett might miss is that they they just don't have the same definition of it. So some people it's going to be a matter of definition. But Quaid, I think that's a symptom. In other words, I think they're they're changing the definition as a way to defend it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so again, and I've led like dozens and dozens of discussions, meetup groups on on this, and and you get people. You know, I, I think you know if we really thought about it. You know, there were probably one dozen or perhaps two dozen at most basic reasons why people, you know, can't accept this. Like one one that comes to mind, um, you know, from a, uh, an actual conversation I had, um, you got to understand, like, you know, 80 to 90 percent of people, at least here in America, are spiritual in the sense that they believe in God or a higher power. Right. So yeah. like so I'm explaining to this woman, you know, like. <laughs> why um, we don't have a free will. She's getting it, but she happens to be religious. And then it dawns on her, wait a minute, that that means that God is not just all good. God is also evil and God is responsible for all these atrocities that, you know, historical atrocities. Huh. And that, I mean, that's a powerful, um, you know, kind of obstacle that, that we need, we have to challenge somehow. Yeah. 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 And that, well, that, uh, that, that's a long story. Also. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think uh, I was talking about with this with Chandler um, at one point, I think last Saturday. But uh, it's, it's. I mean, look what's what happening. Look, look at what is happening right now with the Catholic Church and what has happened. Uh, they don't, they, they're not the same. They don't look like the Catholic Church, you know, 500 years ago because they're constantly reforming. There's reformations. Uh, and then you have kind of, you know, a, a church that accepts evolution and is now starting to be more accepting of gay people. Uh, and it's probably going to be something like that. I don't imagine that the concept of a deity is going to go away, but it, maybe it'll look something like uh, we, we were talking about before. Like, I think it was the Puritans. They they were deterministic. They still thought that people were going to hell or that you were just destined for hell, which is kind of messed up. Uh, but, you know, if we can get past the kind of uh the uh 
the bad moral parts of the old determinism with religion, the new one might be more forgiving. Like if you take, you know, Jesus, when Jesus says they know not what they do, that would be a perfect, a perfect uh, a centerpiece for a deterministic philosophy. People don't know what they're doing and you can't blame them for it. You know, like that you could take that and you could develop some type of still what would we what we would identify as Christian religion, but uh, still straying away from the free will uh, nonsense. Yeah, it's very interesting how religion, just like society in general, changes over time so that it's nothing like what it was a few hundred years ago. And uh, this this I find very fascinating because it seems more like rather than to just say, oh, this thing doesn't exist, people have a tendency to define it. And for example, I, I've, I've sort of done this uh, in a way because, you know, when talking about the self, like, sure, in one sense, I understand the self to be an illusion. Like there's, and, and I mean like, you know, no persistent self that is, that is a me that stays the same and that survives death. Where, but in everyday speech, you know, people use self to refer to their brain, body, thoughts, experiences. We still have like their, the idea in language of there's you, there, there's me, you know. Um, but it sort of, it does depend on the definition. And I think what happens is I've taken like a, a sort of compatibilist um, um, way about the self like well self just means you know my, my body you know this this body that people label Chandler Klebs but but that's all it is and I'm not claiming more than that so like and here's the question guys is when do we how, like how do we actually know like when to take a compatibilist uh, approach and redefine things, or whether to just say, "Oh, this is this is just absolute non-existent. It makes no sense." It's it's really tough to know. Yeah, I think I think the answer to that is, is context. For example, like um, most technically, nobody ever quote unquote chooses anything, you know, because everything's been predetermined. But you know, we use the word choice, you know, pragmatically. You know, we're going to like we go out to dinner, we're going to choose between different entrees or different drinks, whatever. So. So, yeah, we have to kind of like I think that that might be the and, you know, like the English language just does that a lot, you know, with a lot of other words, um, different words, you know, with with a certain context, the meaning is understood with the different context. People understand the same word, you know, in a different way. Um, so, yeah, that's. But, but Quaid, are, are we directly enough addressing, you know, the point we started out with, how, how this is playing out? Um, because I know we're becoming, the, like, a bit more, <laughs> you know, philosophical in terms of, like, you know, um, converting. And, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. We, we did kind of switch there. Um, well, just to real quick kind of talk a little bit about uh, each. I'll, I'll go back to the, the main topic. But I think it's interesting that if you read uh, proponents of free will, like um, – uh, Alfred Melee or um, Robert Kane or uh, Daniel Dennett. A lot of like Daniel Dennett has a book called Elbow Room, and that's what it's called. And if you, the, the the language that's used around around free will is, well, how do we adapt it or how do we make it fit? You know, rather than is this something we need? The conversation is, can we keep it? Almost, you know, 
uh, instead of is this something that is this something we can actually validate as a, a, a the the reality of experience um, while not attaching it to because I mean that's I think we talked about this before like it's just to me attached to way too many things uh, in the past that it's it's worth using because the general population is always going to misunderstand if you want to define it as like well educated. Why can't we just call you well-educated, uh, you know, or if we mean that you weren't coerced by somebody to commit an action, why can't we just say this person is non-coerced? Uh, but the second you want to put free and will together, people start to drudge up these old ideas about uh, spirituality and uh, uh, basically what it, it creates myopia. We, we start looking at it uh, in a very closed and limited microscope we don't take in the bigger picture we start to look at the individual and not the things surrounding the individual and so i mean that's the bottom line of that for me but um yeah as far as uh the self goes uh, the reason that I, I brought this up and that it, it was interesting to me um was because I, I i like a couple of you on here i used to um be fundamentalist Christian. I used to be. I used to believe in free will pretty heavily, and then I think I said this before. It just made it really easier for me uh, when I stopped blaming myself about things and I started to ask why I was committing certain acts. And because to me, I think that a lot of people are just driven by will. So, like, if you want to lose weight, you you will yourself to do it. You just need to make the right choices. You don't need to ask like, well, why am I eating wrong? Am I stressed out? What you know, what about my workout routine isn't getting me interested? And you stop and you stop engaging if that makes any sense. All right, Quaid, what's interesting, so like, all right, so you're, you, um, um, it's interesting, uh, how, how, when was it that you kind of like, you know, realized that free will was an illusion? And what, what was it ab about it? I mean, what, um, you know, how did it ultimately not make, make sense? Because like to, uh, you know, your pro experience, you know, if we can understand how you did it, and Chandler, I think yeah. you've explained in the past how you've done it, then we can better understand how, how to approach people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it was sociology class. That's what really did it for me. Uh, I remember uh, it, was a, it was a slow transition, so I stopped being Christian probably um, five years ago. That's when me and my wife got married. Um, and then shortly after that, I was taking sociology classes, and somewhere along the line, I'm like, how how is it that there is this huge i mean it's one of the one of the things that i use it's such a strong correlation why is there such a strong correlation between um obesity and your income like why is that there you know in in a world where people are making choices you know cuz obesity all obviously uh, always isn't isn't always just a matter of eating habits or working out obviously uh but even accommodating for health things that are we would consider more mitigating people with, you know, thyroid uh, problems and things like that. Even accommodating for those people, uh, there's still that economic link. So why why is it that people who have less money don't eat as well? And it makes perfect sense from a deterministic view, and it makes no sense from a free will point of view. So I mean, stuff like that. It was it was so really it was logic. So, so basically, it was more information. You just like you know. You kind of like this sociology course gave you, you know, all this data and you and you were able to like objectively analyze it and, and, and determine from it. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know that. And I, I took a lot of criminal classes. That's another thing that I think is really uh, to, that's why I've been focusing on criminals, because to me, if there's anybody we want to blame more, it's or if there's anybody that we want to blame, it's it's criminals. You know, we might be fine. And we've done this for years. We might be fine excusing, uh, you know, people with mental uh, insanity, even though we didn't at one point, even though we didn't, we still blame people who had mental conditions. When we finally classified it as a mental condition, we stopped blaming them. Uh, and, but the people that we want to blame the most, I think, are criminals. And so if we can focus on them. So my sociology classes, a lot of them were geared towards criminals. And I, 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 this is my challenge to any free willist. I tell them to, like, watch watch a, a documentary about the, the just who they who they hate the most, who they revile, who they think the worst serial killer or mass murderer or, you know, even corrupt um, dictators and all that. Pick, pick any one of them and, and learn about their life. And if there's any confusion by the end of that, how they ended up the way they did, you did not watch the film. Like, you just simply, like, if you look at someone like... Um, uh, the Butcher of Rostov, that's, uh, um, what was it, Andre Chikatilo? Yeah, Andre Chikatilo, um, he, he was known for having murdered a bunch of women and eaten their insides. And you look at that and you're just like, this guy is, he's, he's evil. Um, but then, you know, when you find out that this guy watched his mother raped by Nazi soldiers and watched his brother eaten alive, you know, it's just kind of like, I've never experienced any of those things. Could those have anything to do with what, you know, what happened to him later? And you're naive to say no. I think the problem is people don't want to see that about, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to see certain things or to learn about some of these things, like about crime and stuff and what you were just mentioning, Quaid, well, yeah, that's unpleasant, and that's why people tend not to do it, and yet it is through seeing the truth about that that it helps them come to the realization that, you know, that people are caused to be the way they are by their experiences. And so this is, this is a, a serious question we have to ask is, can people who cannot handle knowing about um, tra traumatic events, can they can they still come to understand that free will is an illusion, or does it take something shocking like that? Well, I mean, hmm. hopefully, hopefully, you know, um, it wouldn't have to involve the, these heinous crimes. It could involve, like, a person um, ending up homeless or a person um, just doing something very uncharacteristic. You know, in other words, I think the, yeah. the real um, key here is to just um, get people to focus on why people, you know, even like with success, how did a person become successful or another person didn't? I mean, like, just like yeah. have people key in on the, the causes of these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that, the only reason I would uh, recommend the um, more serious ones is because people, people are, to me, more likely to feel sorry for a homeless person than they are for a murderer. And so you'll you'll look at the homeless person and you'll go, okay, well I can absolve the, the homeless person, but I cannot absolve these other people. It's like we're constantly as a species, we've been expanding this realm of people to blame and not blame, and we need people to blame on the outside. And when science kind of kind of coerces us, really, when science tells us we're wrong so much that some of us have to admit it, we expand it, but we never take it all the way. And so my, my fear would be that if you if you just tell people to look at homeless people, really, they'll just say, well, homeless. And that's what that's what, in fact, people like Daniel Dennett have done is they've said, well, well, these people, 
you know, we can still absolve because they're not well educated. And he's just basically expanded it without really asking, like, well, was, isn't this the condition for everybody? Isn't this, aren't we lying to ourselves when we tell ourselves that this really isn't, you know, what everybody goes through and that everybody, just like that homeless person, has things that were pushing and pulling them throughout life to end up where they did? And so, oh, I, if, if, does that make sense? Yeah, no, Quaid, in terms of our messaging, I mean, you know, bringing up the criminality is important because, like, um, we, by doing this, we can bring in liberals and the Democratic Party on our side with this. In other words, like, you know, you have a kid who commits a crime and the Republican Party conservatives want to treat this kid like an adult, want to throw the book at him, right, for whatever yeah. crime it is. Whereas, like, Democrats, liberals say, wait a minute, like, look at the kid's circumstances, look at the... The, the education he had, look at the, the society that he grow, grew up in, and even to the point that, I mean, like, actually we're in, in, a, in a stage of history where it's like, for the last 45 years, the, the conservatives, Republicans, had a majority on the Supreme Court, and in 1973, I believe it was, or 78, the Supreme Court actually decided, this is like, I learned this from Harris's book, that a free will is the law of the land that people have a free will so like we're now at historic time where you know hopefully soon the the balance of power is going to shift toward liberal democrats on the supreme court and you know to the extent that we can bring this topic you know into into um for example like the the governor of virginia just um passed an executive order allowing um, like 200,000 criminals, ex-felons or whatever, to be able to vote again, right? Because this is, this is mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, a, a absolution, just like being compassionate toward people who are very unfortunate. So in other words, like one of our prongs of our um, strategy to get this message out there, I think, involves crime and involves getting people to understand that criminals become criminals, you know, for because of causes that aren't in their control. And again, the great thing about this is we can have the whole Democratic Party and the whole liberal ideology as our allies in this. Yeah. I mean, to the extent that people understand this, they, they will realize that um, people need to be treated treated um, with compassion and not vilified as though they themselves are evil. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right, George, the people tend, who are labeled as liberals, I'm still a little confused on that, you know, they tend to be more understanding of this, that people are victims of their circumstances they don't choose. But this is, a, this is just a, a basic fact, regardless of whether people see it or not. And what, like, what do you think would happen? Like, I know this won't happen, but like, just imagine everyone just magically got it somehow. The genie has granted your wish, and everybody understands completely, just as well as we do, that free will is an illusion. How would that change politics? Uh, that's an interesting question. I guess well, it just depends. No, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Well, the first thing is, like, if, if, you, if you see how contentious politics is, everybody, like, Democrats blaming Republicans, Republicans blaming Democrats for everything. I mean, that, yeah. that I think, is the first uh, thing that would go. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I question whether there would even be people. What if people understood this? Like, wouldn't it, it all just be meetings of everybody? They wouldn't be tying themselves to like a team. Like, you know, it's like a sports team is what it seems like. Like, we're this side, they're that side. Why can't we just all be on the same side? Oh yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's definitely tribal. It's it's completely tribal. Uh, and um, but I, I agree with you guys. I think that uh, to some extent, I mean, to me, it's like I said, Christians were at one point determinists, so some of them might. If you just said, okay, free will is an illusion, some of them might be like, oh, well, they, you know, they might revert back to, well, you know, Christ is still, you know, real and all that stuff. And so I guess there are just some people who are doomed for hell. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if, if being a determinist or indeterminist or, you know, any anything that's, you know, I don't know if breaking down the illusion of free will necessarily means that uh, you at that point are, are all of a sudden peaceful. Because I could still think of a way which again would be to just say, well, I guess God just made some bad people and those are the bad people. Um, but I don't know for sure. Well, I wonder, cause like, I think like, all right, in a, in a post free will world, I think there's still going to be competition for resources. You know, people will still fight mm -hmm. over like limited resources, but I think, and, and I haven't done the research on this. I'm very curious to know what percentage of crimes are basically based on free will. In other words, a person um, commits a crime, you know, believing that the person, the victim, deserved it. That, that it's kind of like revenge. It's kind of like retribution. Because I imagine a lot of like crime where like the people, you know, the criminals know each other. The criminal knows the victim. You know, domestic violence, forever. It's it's like it's it's you know, without free will belief, I think we could like eliminate a whole you know host of crimes. That, that would never have been committed, uh, you know, if people didn't believe in free will. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I might be idealistic or optimistic. I don't, I don't think that I am. I'm not a generally an idealistic or optimistic person. Um, but I, I do believe that, that getting rid of the illusion of free will can fix a lot of social ailments. So I, I don't think we wouldn't have problems anymore. I just think that a lot of the social problems would start to, to break down. Uh, because they're not being maintained by this misunderstanding of each other. You, you know, you're, you go in knowing that, you know, the person you're going to talk to is developed, you know, has developed their philosophy from this and that. And then so you're more willing to have a conversation with them after that because you don't, you don't act like everything that they think that you don't believe is an affront to you as a person. It's just the way things are. You know, there's another side of this, guys, a sort of evolution that takes place in society. And this is really completely unconscious with us, I think, for the most part. We're not aware that this is happening. However, we know that certain beliefs or certain lacks of belief um, tend to make some people friendlier than others. I mean, no doubt since I, um, you know, left um, fundamentalist Christianity and, and came to stop blaming people because I know nobody really had a choice in the matter of what they are. Well, that makes me become a nicer, friendly person. And people, they don't know why. Like when you know somebody, you, you have a group of friends that you get along with, you don't always know why those people are nice. Well, why are these people so much nicer than these people over there? And people who don't look at the underlying philosophies behind why some people are more compassionate, forgiving, and others are full of revenge and hateful, some will investigate it like we do and come to understand 
the belief systems. But a lot of people don't. They just hang around the nice people, ignore the not-so-nice people. And over time, you see a shift happen in society where it becomes more popular. The nice people become more popular, if you get what I'm saying, in a sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah. over time, um, that may do it. Absolutely. Quaid, I'm curious. All right, it's like two questions for you. One, um, you said that you were once fundamentalist Christian. Um, Nick, you know, Nick and I are kind of like unique in this the collection of, of, of hosts in that we're, we're theists. You know, I tend to like describe myself as an acutheist, you know, meaning that like, you know, the Christians, Jews, like religionists got, you know, the idea of God, you know, relatively or generally right, but you know, mistaken in certain senses. Um, whereas like most of the hosts are, are atheists. So what the first question is like, did, did you go from um, believing in God to to not believing in God or having a different conception of God? And the second question <laughs> is, um, you were talking about, you know, the, the possibility of reformation, just that, that religions reform over time, you know, the Catholic Church and all over the last 500 years. Um, do you believe that one of the major reasons that people have left organized religion like I did years ago is because of this free will based, you know, belief that, that God is going to condemn some people to like eternal suffering? Because like, I can't think of a more hateful belief. I'm sorry. So like, do you, do you think that like, mm -hmm. to the extent that, um, that religions, churches, synagogues, you know, mosques begin to teach that, you know, that there is only God's will, because I don't think, you know, people are going to believe in God, like, you know, um, that, that, that'd be a major shift for them not to whatever, but like, that, that that could like form the basis of a new reformation to bring a lot of these people who left religion back to these congregations. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, to answer your first question, I uh, know it was it was a long process for me. Um, I, my, I considered myself Christian probably up until the age of uh, like 14 or 15, but that was just because my mom said the word, you know, and so I regurgitated it whenever I was around people, but I didn't actually, I wasn't devout at all. Uh, and then I became 16 and I had a friend who went to church all the time and he prompted me to go uh, and I really got into it. Like I, I was, you know, I was, I emptied out my closet and was reading in my closet every night and I, I read the Bible uh, every day and um, so we had prayer circles at our school and I went on all the, you know, trips or, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, it, it, and, <clears throat> and then at one point, uh, I got frustrated with, with a lot of it, uh, because of the people that were there. So they, I mean, they had a lot to do with it and I ended up becoming some type of like Buddhist or something or other. Um, and then I started working at a prison and I got, and then I started, I went back to Christianity. So I became Christian again. Uh, and then I met, Nicole and we were still kind of we would had just started going to college and stuff and so we were learning about um, different philosophies and I, the the free will might have something to do with it I don't know if it really does though for I, for some people I would say yes absolutely uh, the fact that free will means that you blame people turns a lot of people off to the religious aspect to me I to me I take a completely philosophical like I'm a very um, I don't know what you call it, but basically I don't make conclusions outside of the scientific realm ever. Uh, and that's just where I stand on it. Um, but I think that, 
I, I don't have a problem with, and I, I've, I, I think I said this last time, I, you know, people assert that religion is the highest form of evil or it's, it's causing all these problems. And I would, I would, I would disagree. And I would say that it was, it was free will. I would say that free will is what's doing it and that you could have some type of, uh, like, for instance, I have a friend Jay and we've had million, we have, we've had tons of philosophical conversations on God and he still accepts God. But he still, I mean, just as 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 uh, moral as I am, he still accepts free will. Uh, but I really, uh, I really don't think that he. I think he understands at this point he doesn't have a reason to. That he's just kind of sticking with it, and because of that, he ends up making a lot of choice. Whenever he makes a decision about a person, he's always looking at it through the lens of a determinist, and it's just the way it is. But he believes in God, and I think God is just the liberty that he takes he doesn't take the position that i do that i can i'm only going to make claims uh within the scientific not you know i go off of the scientific paradigm so i usually shift where scientists are and then that's it i stop my conclusions at that point for the most part and he doesn't and it doesn't seem to cause any any real problems at all you know i think you can have somebody like jay or somebody who is highly religious who still uh recognizes that um people aren't to be blamed for for their actions you know it's just again like i said that the whole jesus thing that's going to be by the way one of the uh kind of things that will come up in the book that i'm writing because it I, I use religion a lot for my book actually and it's a there's a lot of intertwining of uh the christian religion uh in particular uh with the idea of messing around with um with free will um and so i i think that uh you can you can still Basically, you can reform religion in such a way that they've gotten rid of the, the notion of, of free will. You know, when Jesus says they know not what they do, that's a, that's a perfect example. If people don't know what they're doing, like perhaps Jesus did come out on the cross and he was, you know, sent here by God and the God learned one of the one of the things that God learned. Maybe if God wasn't deemed as this perfect deity, but just some type of higher deity, uh, then he learned something through Christ, which was that we weren't to blame for what was going on. You know, they know not what they do. Uh, so, yeah, you could do it for sure. Uh, and uh, it's probably going to happen if, if we can get the ball rolling. That's, I mean, people aren't just going to give up their beliefs, I don't think. I think it's they're going to reform them. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Maybe not, not on this podcast, but sometime in the future, because, like, we've had a few email debates, and I think we've been had podcast debates, like... Um, trying to like I, I present the case that, that we can scientifically um, prove God's existence if we define God as God is, is ordinarily defined in dictionaries and encyclopedias you know for example yeah. like yeah so like so that we, we should we should um, do that in the future hopefully with trick and Mitch um, involved also that'd be a good podcast I would be completely down for that oh yeah because we've done it before but we haven't done it with Quaid so that will be interesting <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I would like to say that I do think that free will belief really is what is making religion harmful. I used to think that I used to think it was the belief in God itself, but not so much. You know, um, it, it's it, 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 it. I think it actually may be more doable for religion to reform in such a way that it accepts determinism or incompatibilism or whatever about free will, even if they retain some of their other beliefs. Because like we've seen, we've seen how they've changed uh, attitudes about evolution and about gay people. They have changed on some of those things. And 
it's so it's interesting. It seems the only there's only a few groups of fundamentalists out there that are re very resistant to change because they're biblical, biblical literalists, you know. So they can't change, but some do. And then we've got natural selection, basically, of which which of them wins out, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I hate to appeal to, uh, I know this is, is fallacious in some way, I hate to appeal to morality or any of those things, but I think one of the good things about um, seeing free will as an illusion or determinist or indeterminist or however you want to label yourself, um, it is, it's beneficial in a lot of ways for the individual and for other people, and I think that will naturally draw people. Like we are in a society right now that wants to sympathize with people probably more than any other time. That's probably true. Maybe some people will disagree, but I really think that that's something that we can observably say is that people want to blame less people and they're looking for a way to do it. And this could be that that philosophy. You know, it's it's because you don't really have a reason to blame them. You just didn't think about it, you know. Um, yep. And so I, I think people will start to flock to that idea once it gains. That's the other problem with a lot of this is that people um, we, we're driven by aesthetics and we're driven by what looks good. Um, and so, you know, because we, because none of us here have the resources to, to make a high budget, uh, online basis, that, that probably has a lot to do with why people accept, ex don't accept the idea. And that's just an inconvenient truth. Right. I think another reason is like a lot of people, you know, people are a, a certain percentage, even who, who understand that we'd have a free will don't see the significance of, of, of the question of getting this right. Um, Quaid, I don't know if you read my most recent book um, on free will, Free Will, Its Refutation, Societal Cost and Role in Climate Change Denial. But mm. there I just present, it's a, it's a brief thesis. I don't go into it in much detail, but I think it's a strong argument that um, basically... You know, because basically what we're trying to do is get people to understand, wait, this is like this is a vastly important issue to get right. And so, like in the book, I say, listen, scientists are telling people, listen, what what you are doing, what your family's doing, what your friends are doing are placing our planet's climate at such risk that in 100 years, we may not have the civilization we have now. We might have a complete civilization collapse because of rising temperatures and, and uh, many other kinds of like, you know, consequences of climate change. And so here's the thing. Because people believe in, in free will, you know, in psychology, there's this unconscious defense mechanism that people rely on that they use it to protect themselves against you know, threats to their self-image, threats to who mm -hmm. they believe they are, who they believe their friends and family and associates are. So, like, basically, like, you know, it seems to make sense that people, scientists are telling people, listen, you're doing something horrible. People can't hear it because they're blaming themselves. Now, if all of a sudden, you know, like, like Chandler was saying, if by some magic people, like, finally got that nobody has a free will then they could listen to this message and they could say, fine, all right, I'm not going to blame myself because look, nobody has a free will, nobody's to blame up for this. But objectively then, without having to go into denial, they could see what we're doing to the climate and then, you know, mm -hmm. take uh, steps to address it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's you might want to weave that into your novel if you can, yeah. Yeah, you, you know something, 
like this from my background of Christianity, like this idea of getting saved or or filled with the Holy Spirit or something like the, these different religious ideas, like of a massive life conversion, which changes all your thinking, some kind of revolution in thinking. None of that ever happened with those kinds of things. Not really. There was no permanent change. Maybe a temporary feeling like, well, maybe something happened and then life goes on. But with this free will th thing, with knowing that, whoa, everything I do has a cause. What's causing me to do this now? It's all exciting and a daily progression of massive change. And so it's almost like a, a profound religious experience once we... At what's the illusion of free will is shattered in our lives yeah yeah it's like uh it's like that little conductor uh, to, to me it's like that little you know conductor piece that allows electricity to to run through like you're you're not at all engaged in the process until you uh, that's uh, that's why to me it was significant to have this conversation because like i i know what it's like to um blame myself so heavily that i i was not in problem solving mode. That's what happens when you when you uh, look at yourself that way. When you kind of see yourself as as you you boil yourself down to, well, I make good choices and bad choices, and today I just need to make good choices, uh, rather than asking why am I making bad choices. And then that's when you start to not only just try to do it with your willpower, which is to me highly problematic, because people end up just trying to use their willpower and then it fails because will willpower is limited. It's like a muscle. It you know it fatigues. Uh, and then they just they blame themselves rather than trying to set up their life in such a way that it makes those choices easier for them. It's interesting. Quote, unquote, I, choices. Yeah, I did a little research on willpower recently, and interestingly, according to the research, the people who you know who believe that they can increase their willpower by when they don't succeed at whatever they're doing, punishing themselves, actually. Um, don't succeed as well as the people who increase their willpower by being much more understanding, by saying to themselves, all right, I didn't do it, I didn't like exert as much willpower this time, but I'm not gonna punish myself, and I'm gonna try harder next time. So this uh -huh. is, in, in other words, like the more effective group was essentially using the no free will ideology. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and then to answer your other question, I do, I wanna buy your book and uh, uh, I think tricks or whoever has one, I'll buy one because I, I want to make my own and I just want to see what everybody else has said so I can try to like find some niche of my own to write about. Absolutely. Um, With mine, I mean, it's a, there's a dollar version on Kindle and you can download, I think, a PDF from my site or from, you know, Chandler's site now. So yeah, yeah, I'll be doing that. It's it's uh, I got like another week of school. So once I'm out of there, I'm going to buy everybody's book and, and do my reading that I have to do and try to get that set up. <clears throat> Yeah, and you know about the list of books on the causal consciousness site, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I saw those. There, I mean, there's a long list, right? It's like really long. Yeah, they're, they're like sorted by date, I think, um, with the most recent ones at the top that were published. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I've actually bought um, quite a quite a few of those actually. A lot, a lot of them I would I bought Kindles editions and read through those books so I've read a, yeah. what a lot of different people have had to say on the topic of free will and and you know there's some semantic differences and differences of how they explain it but they've all got the same idea yeah and then quite for your work I mean again I, I've mentioned this before all the books out there including our own I mean we go into this somewhat but not nearly um, 
in, in enough, enough depth, we, we're basically addressing the logic of why we don't have free will, whereas like we're almost completely ignoring these, these the motivated reasons, <clears throat> these, you know, these emotional ideological barriers to people understanding and accepting the logic. So to the extent that your novel can address that, that's really the holy grail. That's, that's what hasn't yet been done and, and, and still needs to be done. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I agree. It's it's my <clears throat> it's my least favorite way, though. I mean, I I am a huge proponent of logic and thinking about things step by step. And so, while I I I grew up in in, in uh, fiction writing and I've done it most of my life, um, one of my biggest problems is that I read more nonfiction than I read fiction. Um, and so I I mean I I, I still want to I, I was going to make the um, fiction anyway and so i'm going to do it and i think it's important to have that out there and i do think that it's in terms of numbers it's it's way more motivating because people like to be entertained they don't unfortunately a lot of them don't like to think about things like that they don't like to they don't want to pick up a nonfiction book they don't want to read step-by-step or logic they want to be persuaded by something else and so i'll have the, the book for that and that if it if it's any good at all, hopefully it will pick up steam and proliferate some of the ideologies behind free will being an illusion. Uh, but I also want something concrete out there um, as well. If if nothing else, just for me or you know, the people who are who uh, are in the scientific or academic community, because I'm I'm heavily in that myself, who still need to per- be persuaded as well. Uh, but who knows? Like I said, I haven't read your books yet, so I don't know. You guys might have said everything, and then I could just be like, no, just go buy this book or whatever. Yeah, you know, here's another thing um, is like, you know, with so many good books out there, like I realized the book I did really wasn't that great by comparison. You know what I mean? Can't blame myself, obviously, but like that, like there's just no way that anybody could do a better job than Trick Slattery did. Like, seriously, you know, it's a long book, but he just goes so in depth in so many chapters. It took me like. A month or two months to actually finish that book because I'm such a slow reader, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like in-depth stuff like that. However, I will say that sometimes shorter things are less intimidating, and that's why I think like George, George's book that he was mentioning earlier, it's a very short book, and that's important too um, because people don't like to read things the size of a phone book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, and quite another thing. Um... You know, um, Harris presented the material really well, you know, yeah. um, and, and that's another component, another response, you know, you, um, address the logic, right? But you might find the, 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 the way of expressing it that resonates with people. That's another component that, again, I mean, I think we, we've tried to appeal to different audiences, but, you know, a more expansive appeal to a, a major audience, you know, through a novel might, might really be what, what, what changes everything, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, this book. I like I said, I've been thinking about it for years, so I'm really excited to try to to get it together because I mean, it's going to be like a trilogy type thing, so it'll be three books. Um, but uh, like like I said, I, I use religion, and to, to me, it's a very important part because it's actually an adaptation of of some religions and their spiritual. Like I said, their spirituality in it and stuff like that. So hopefully that that too will will get people's attention now the the other problem is that it could be seen as blasphemous um so that's one problem with it uh but i i think that right now in society hopefully we're at a place where that's a little bit more okay and people will uh 
will watch it. Uh, whereas if I had done something like this years ago, there's there's no chance. But I think yeah, people again, are more, more open to it. You can like you can cite history, for example, of the three um, Jewish sects at the time of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. The the Sadducees believed that um, we had complete free will in everything. The Pharisees, yeah. who were the dominant sect, they believed that we only had free will in our moral decisions. You know, where we worked, where we lived, that was none of that was up to us. And the Essenes, hmm. who who the 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 Jewish historian of the time, Josephus, described as the most pious of the Jews. You know, the most elevated, you know, evolved of the Jews were the the Essenes, and they they rejected the free will notion altogether. They believed that everything was God's will. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I'm. I- I'm going to need you to uh, type that up for me and send that to me because <laughs> sure, that, sure. that's definitely something uh, that's def- that'll definitely be relevant to it. Uh, I mean, I, I openly use Jesus in one of the books, like Jesus is one of the characters in my books. And so I'm kind of distorting the historical aspect. And so that will be, be useful. Um, there's also that old legend. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but, you know, they say that the age of 13 to 30, like, you know, Jesus wasn't. There's there's nothing on him basically in that time frame, um, and there were some like rumors or legends out there that he actually went to uh, um, like some Buddhist monastery or something like that and like traveled. You know, obviously there's no actual evidence for that, but it's really interesting to think that. I mean, there's a lot of Buddhists out there who do who are determinists who connect us to the universe. We're just we're a, we're the universe manifesting itself very briefly in one way. You know, we're just a perturbation of consciousness and that's it. And, you know, there's, there's no <clears throat> control or, you know, this and that. And so it'd be really interesting to have a character like Jesus exposed to some of those elements and then bring them back, you know, and talk about them. Sounds good. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, yeah, we've talked about so many different things in the, in this one episode. This always happens. We always ramble on because one thought leads to another. Just, huh. I mean, it's just plain so obvious that it's not up to us. We can't even stick to a plan. There's really, it's not our plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think? Have we covered this enough? Um, you know, we're I guess like an hour and ten minutes. Yeah, I think this is a good episode. We we talked about some of the benefits it's had for each of us um, overcoming the illusion of free will. Plus, we learned a lot about Quaid's background this way. So overall, I think this was a good episode. So uh, I guess I can end it now unless there was anything else you guys wanted to add. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs, George Ortega, Quaid, and WSD Time. And we've had a lot of talk about free will, but also religion and all sorts of interesting stuff. We get to know each other better all the time. So hope you've learned something from this or at least enjoyed it. Thank you for listening and goodbye.